0: Uh, my name is Ben Sylvester. If you guys have not met me yet, if I have not met you, uh, I would love to meet you guys after this. Um, if I haven't, uh, Drew is preaching at Foothill this morning, and so you guys are stuck with me. Thank you, Suzette. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm super excited, super honored that we just get to have this time and the word together this morning. And so if you have your Bible, Go ahead and turn to 1 Thessalonians 2. 1 Thessalonians 2.17 through 3.13. This is where we're going to be today. 1 Thessalonians 2.17 through 3.13. We've been going through the series through the book of 1 Thessalonians for the past four, four-ish weeks now. And this is where we're picking back up in the text. And so if you're a note taker, if you consider yourself a note taker and want to title your notes page, the title of this sermon is An Incredible Example of Great Care. An incredible example of great care. And as with any example, right, ever given, usually there's something to learn from that example, right? And so this morning, it's not just any ordinary example, it's an incredible example. And so my prayer for us at Santa Cruz Baptist Church this morning is that we just get to learn from this. We get to learn from Paul and his incredible example of his care, his deep, deep care for these Thessalonians. And so before we get into the word, I would, just, I would love to pray um, for our time together. So if you bow your heads and we can pray together. Dear God, thank you so much for today, God, this morning. In this day that you have made, God, that we just get to have the honor and the blessing to open up your word, God. We praise you and thank you so much. And we we pray that we learn from this text and that we see you and your glory through it. That we can apply it and go out into Santa Cruz the rest of this week, the rest of the year, the rest of our lives. And just live for you. Magnify you and make your name known. We love you, God, and praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, we're just going to jump right up into it, so let's get it. Starting in verse 17, Paul is talking, he says this, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not at heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. And loved and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. And so... That's our text, and I know what some of you guys may be thinking. Some of y'all may be thinking, like, whoa, like, chill. Like, that was a lot, right? That's a, that's a huge text. Like, what did we just read? I'm so lost. Paul is so confusing sometimes with how he writes. Uh, we've seen that, and that was just a lot for me. And some of you, honestly, you probably might have checked out halfway through reading that. Um, no shame. But first of all, there is some good news. I, I, too, was like that when I first read this text. I was confused. It was a lot. Um, but recently, when I'm, I'm confused in my personal time reading the Word in my quiet times, per se, rather than you know, getting frustrated and just passing over it, I try and force myself to dig. I try and force myself to dig. I, and so I, I'm starting to approach some texts and some challenging texts Kind of like sand on the beach. And so I start digging through that sand, I start shoveling it away, shovel, 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 deeper, <clears throat> deeper, deeper, and finally start to uncover the treasure, right? The treasure that God has for us in the text. And so the more and more that we dig into this text together this morning, the more we can understand it, the more we can see the main points clearly. And we can find out how we can apply this to our lives today. And so I think, personally, the the best way we can start to understand this, First Thessalonians, is to have a refresher of the context of what's going on, right? Context will help us tremendously in unpacking this text. And so Drew, four weeks ago, he, he did an incredible job giving us the context, unpacking it, Um, And we've been in this book for the past four weeks now, and so whenever I'm reading a book, I always, halfway through, I love to refresh myself and just see, like, what was going on back in that time? What's going on back in those days around this letter so that I remind myself what's going on, you know? And so if you're here for the first time at Santa Cruz Baptist and just now jumping into 1 Thessalonians, or if you've been here the past four weeks... um, Let's just do a little recap, okay? And so if you guys go there with me, let's just imagine a timeline, okay? Just bear with me. From left to right, just a timeline, and we're just going to go through each part of what's going on in Thessalonica, okay? And so first up, there's these two guys, right, Paul and Silas, as seen in Acts 17, and they're on a missionary journey, okay? And passing through towns, passing through Macedonia, and they come to this the city called Thessalonica. And there was a Jewish synagogue in that town, okay? And so they approach it, they go in, and they spoke and reasoned from the Scriptures to these people. And, And during that time, during their time in the synagogue, Paul shares the gospel of Jesus and praise God. Many people come to faith. They come to place their faith in Jesus Christ. But... Through that, moving on the timeline, some of those townspeople were pretty disturbed by this. Some people were pretty unhappy with what was going on. So, so riots, riots erupted. People stormed before the city authorities, before Caesar, and proclaimed that Paul and Silas, like, you know, that they were saying there was this better king, right? This better king than Jesus instead of Caesar. And so a lot of these people started following Jesus. And the officials were so disturbed by this, and so in an act of God, truly, Paul and Silas get out of there. I mean, it's it's so dangerous, and they flee to Berea, a place called Berea, and they they just had to flee. And so Paul, Silas, and now this guy named Timothy tags along, and they're in Berea, and they head to Athens to keep sharing the gospel of Jesus, keep going on their missionary journey you may think like, well, what was going on though? In, like, in the meantime, through all of that, there were new believers in Thessalonica, right? And like just came to faith and riots were starting. They were starting <clears throat> during all this persecution, which is crazy. Like I, I, I remember and just think back to when I was saved. And if I got saved then the same week, riots started erupting. Because of who I believed in, like, that would be insane, truly, right? And so just putting us, like, in that perspective. And so we see that Paul, through this letter, Paul wanted to go back to Thessalonica to help them, support them, encourage them, stir them up, stir their affections for Christ up. And they were hindered. They were hindered in doing that. And so instead of him going, he sent his boy, Timothy, right, his guy, to check in on them, see how they were doing in the midst of this persecution. And so Timothy travels there, um, and Timothy was there the Thessalonians. He encourages them. He stirs them up. And during that time, Paul and Silas head to Corinth for more missions, right? It's just an incredible missionary journey. And Timothy, after his time is done, after his time at Thessalonica has completed, he returns and goes back to Paul and Silas in Corinth, and guys, just gives them incredible news, gives them an incredible report of these new, new saints, this new church in Thessalonica. It's so sweet. And so this good news propels Paul to write this letter, 1 Thessalonians, that we have today. And so that's so cool, right? I, I, I personally love just nerding out over that stuff, geeking out a little bit. So hopefully that helps you guys. But this chunk of Paul's letter that we're in this morning This really ministered to me in a deep way uh, this week. It it hit me hard. And so my prayer is that we all just learn a ton about what this letter meant to the Thessalonians back then, what it means for us today, us in Santa Cruz, and then how we can see Jesus through this text and apply this text to our lives, right? That we grow as a church, we grow as Santa Cruz Baptists, but we also grow in our personal, individual walks with the Lord. And so if you're a note taker, uh, usually a lot of pastors like to break up um, their sermon into different points sometimes. And that's usually just because the text breaks up into different points. And so today, there's three points if you're taking notes. Three main messages we see the text break up into. Number one, longing. Longing. Number two is care. And number three is prayer. Longing, care, and prayer. And the deal with each of these points is that they can be turned into questions for us. And so do we long for others to come to know Jesus? Do we we care for others? And then do we pray for others, genuinely pray for them? It's just an introspective moment for all of us to ask ourselves these questions. And so if you take away one thing, if you don't write anything else down, and take away one thing, like you're at lunch after this or something, and you're like, oh, what, what what happened at church again? It would be this, to remember this. Genuinely care for your brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to genuinely care for your brothers and sisters in Christ, right? The people sitting next to us. And so, moving into point one. You guys still with me, by the way? You guys yeah. good? Love it. Okay, point one, longing, right? This is found in verses 17 through 20. Starting in verse 17, right, Paul is speaking and says, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. And so as we said, Paul and Silas, they're no longer there with them in Thessalonica. And they left Thessalonica against their will. Like they did not want to leave, but they had to. And when you study this verse in the Greek, in this sentence, the original language, the wording he used here is similar to a child being separated from their parents. And so with this said, Paul is expressing a, a, a deep feeling of loss, of him not being able to be there. And so although, although they're not there with him in person, their heart and care for them is still there, right? And so what I love about this verse is that in this verse we see a glimpse into Paul's heart. Truly, his heart for these people. He has so much care for the Thessalonians that he longs to his inner core to see them, right? In verse 18, Because we wanted to come see you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Satan hindered us. And so Paul pleads and says, Guys, we wanted to come see you. Like, we truly, please believe us. Like, we wanted... To come and see you guys, yet somehow Satan hindered them from going back. We don't know if this means that their travel plans were were messed up or anything like that. It does not say, and so we're not going to assume, but it says that Satan hindered them in a way. And so Matthew Henry, um, one, one of my favorite pastors, a great author as well, He says this, he says, Satan is a constant enemy to the work of God and does all he can to obstruct it. Satan is a constant enemy to the work of God and does all he can to obstruct it. And thankfully, we will see later in this test that we as Christians, we have no reason at all to fear Satan because we have hope. In Jesus Christ. And we'll get to that in a bit, okay? So Paul longed for them with all of his heart, right? He got hindered from going to see them. And then in 19 he says, For what is our joy or hope or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. And so Paul says that their joy before the Lord is is them, right? The Thessalonians and their faith in Jesus. And he uses this term, this interesting term, crown of boasting, right? To illustrate what he's saying, like crowns or wreaths. Back in that day, they were given to winning athletes. And so through the power of salvation in the gospel, in the good news, and God drawing those Thessalonians near to him, Paul wins them to Christ, like praise God. And so Paul's joy is them and their faith in our Savior. And so my question for all of us, if we can just take a step back, and just ask ourselves a question is, who or what is your hope and joy before the Lord? Who or what is your joy and hope before the Lord? Because as of now, truly, our, our culture, today's culture, today's society, social media, it's, it's wanting to pursue all of these fleeting joys, these earthly joys. That won't satisfy truly. Like the, the clothes, you know. For example, like the clothes and style that's in. Like I gotta get that. I gotta have that jacket, those shoes. The having the nicest house, having the coolest, the coolest car, the best Instagram feed. Like gotta make sure people see that I'm, I'm having a, a sweet life, right? Like the list could go on. And John Piper, who's absolute baller, one of my favorite pastors ever. He has a famous sermon and even a book titled, Don't Waste Your Life. Don't Waste Your Life. And in it, he unpacks that we get one life, so don't waste it. We get one life, so don't waste it. And how in this life, we should use what God has given us and leverage everything in our lives for his glory. And what we see in this text is Paul's making the most of his time, right? he. He's making the most of his time in the right ways. He's not holding up to God, you know, his personal accolades or like, look, you know, this or that. Like his joy before the Lord is others and then coming to faith and growing in Godliness, pursuing holiness. And so I think it's worth re-asking ourselves, like, who is your hope and joy before the Lord? Who do you long for to see them grow in their walk with Jesus. Could be, you know, your kids, your kids that you're discipling. It could be a small group that you get to lead a missional community. Maybe it's someone that you randomly met, and you you bring her you bring her or him in into your house and you make them a meal and you ask how they're really doing. Maybe it's a, a kid in the youth group that you get to mentor. Right? It could be anything like that. My prayer for this church is that we we will have a heart about us to do kingdom work and have an eternal perspective in mind. Not, you know, like, oh, I hope I, you know, just get through it and then retire and just have a comfortable retirement and I'm just chilling, you know, until God takes me. You know, like, no, like, have an eternal perspective. Right? Make much of Jesus. I pray that we have a Romans 12.1 mindset about us, that we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. And so the question from our first point we've got to ask ourselves is, do we long for others to come to know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of their life? Moving into our second point. Our second point is on care, right? And so we see Paul's not only longing for these Thessalonians, But he also truly cares for these people. And this is found in verses 1 through 10 of chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, and we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith. And so when Paul and Silas could not bear seeing them any longer and heard that, like, they were just damn bad, right? They were going through persecution. They sent Timothy. And Timothy, uh, if you don't know, he was their dear friend. He was a fellow worker in ministry. And so what, what was the purpose of Timothy being sent? And the, the text says it, to establish and exhort them, right? To establish and exhort these Thessalonians and their faith, to build them up. To encourage them. Like they're going through terrible things, right? You know, riots, persecution, hardship. And so they need someone supporting them, establishing them in their faith, teaching and encouraging them. But this truly must have been hard for Paul, right? Because Paul didn't send any any ordinary guy off the street, right? To go to their aid. He sent Timothy. And Timothy meant a lot to Paul. Paul said before that Timothy is Paul's true child in the faith. He has a deep care for him. Paul was mentoring him, right? And so he cared for the Thessalonians so much that he sent Timothy into the fire and the flames of this persecution to Thessalonica to see if they were okay and to to build them up. And so I, I believe this... This verse begs us to ask the question to ourselves, like, do we have such a care for others that we go out of our way and uplift them in their walks with Jesus, right? And so, for example, um, as far as care goes, uh, hopefully some of you guys can relate to this. I had a pretty, a pretty eye-opening revelation a few weeks ago. Um, and so a few weeks ago, I got my first surfboard. First ever surfboard, and I'm not even going to lie, it is sick. It is so cool, um, 9-0, single fin, blue and gray. I mean, it's just beast, like, so beast mode. My first board ever. And what I didn't realize about buying a board, or, like, my so my dad went halfway in it, and then I went in the other half. It's still a lot of money. Um, anyways, <laughs> I realized that... Since I bought it, since I know how much that thing is worth, I realized that I didn't know how much <coughs> I was gonna care for it until I got that thing, right? And c- here's the kicker. So I drive uh, a small Nissan Frontier truck. I love that truck. It's been great, i uh, had, had it for years. But it has an all right truck bed, like pretty mid, pretty decent, not super big. And so I get the board, I put it in my truck, and Half the board is sticking out the back. And, and so I start freaking out because you guys know, like, what if I'm on the highway and I start driving and like, I hit a bump and like, the board teeters and, you know, like, see ya, you know? Like, that'd be terrible, right? Like, the board could get dinged, it could get destroyed, um, someone could run it over. Like, oh my word. And so, like, that's a nightmare. It's an absolute nightmare. And so I pick up my board in Capitol, right? And I get these bungee cords. And so I, you know, b- bungee cords to the rescue. I strap probably six or seven on that thing. Um, and I think I'm ready to drive home. And, I, and so I live in Aptos. I live like five minutes away. And I start on this journey back home, <coughs> this silly little 10-minute drive, right? And um, I'm, I'm kidding you not. During that drive, I have not, I have never driven safer in my life. You know, I'm I'm on the highway and I'm going 45, pushing it, maybe 40, you know, hands on 10 and 2, putting the blinker on maybe 100 feet, you know, before I I usually do, uh, to tell people, like, I'm getting over here, like, you see what's in my truck, you know, and so... And the whole time, like, my eyes are just fixed on the rear view. Like, I'm probably looking more on the rear view mirror to see how the board's doing than the road. Uh, Because I I don't want it to fall out, right? And so, because I care for that board, right? I I know how much that board is worth, and I care for that thing. And so, praise God, make it home safely. It's all good. But at some point in the day, I realize, man... Do I care for others as much as I care for this new board, this new possession, this new thing? Like it—it it was, like it was convicting. And so, because here's the deal: in the eyes of our Maker, our Creator, our Heavenly Father, we are priceless. We are invaluable to our God. And so, do we care for our brothers and sisters in Christ, the people seated? You know. Around us to our right and left, and encourage them and love them well more than loving our own selves and our own stuff. Right? Well, we have a Philippians 2 heart about us where it says, Philippians 2 3 through 4, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than ourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so some examples of, you know, caring for your brother and sister in Christ could be, you know, making time. Making time to hang out with someone to see how they're really doing, you know, listening to them, actually lending a listening ear, you know, making someone a meal, serving them, encouraging them with Scripture. Right, pointing them to Jesus, pointing them to actual truth. That's the most loving thing we can do. So moving onward, Paul sent Timothy to establish them and exhort them so that, as verses 3 and 4 say, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. And so the purpose for Timothy going was so they wouldn't be shook up by these afflictions, right? And so like they, they literally become believers. And then that same week, that same area of time, they start getting persecuted by Caesar, townspeople, the city officials. And so Timothy went to encourage and establish and exhort them. And here's the deal. As the text says, we as Christians... We're, we're destined for this. We're destined for afflictions and persecution. Second Timothy 3.12, for example. Second Timothy 3.12, it says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus even, in and, and John 15, made it clear that those of the world will actually hate Christians because the world hated him first. And so if Christians were like the world, you know, you know, earthly, sensual, evil, given to pleasure, wealth, selfishness, the, the world would not oppose us, but Christians do not belong to the world, right? We belong to, to Him, something better, someone greater, which is why the world engages in this persecution. And it's us Christians, our, our separation from the world that that fuels this persecution but but there's good news John 16:33 one of my favorite verses ever John 16:33 Jesus says I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace in the world you will have tribulation but take heart I have overcome the world and so guys like we have Jesus on our side and he's already won. Jesus has already won. He overcame sin and death, and we now have an all surpassing peace and rest in him. He is with us. Moving forward, verse 5. Verse 5, Paul talking again says, For this reason, when I could bear no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. And so Paul does not want them to be tempted by the tempter, you know, to to give up, to throw in the towel, to cave. Because as we saw back in in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 8, that that Drew went through a few weeks ago, Paul and Silas literally gave themselves for these Thessalonians. Like they they leveraged everything in them. They gave their time, their life, their words for these Thessalonians, like they care for them deeply. And so they don't want their teachings and their toil to be in vain, if that makes sense, to be worthless. And so the devil, Satan will do anything that he can to cause destruction and deceive and make the teachings of ministers worthless, right? We see in Matthew 4, when Satan tries to deceive and tempt Jesus, right? And Jesus doesn't give in. And... Fights with scripture, right? And then we see in 1 Peter 5, 8. 1 Peter 5, 8, kind of a a character description on our enemy. It says, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Mm -hmm. And so with that, Paul and Silas, they don't want these Thessalonians to be deceived, right? To be tempted. And so they sent Timothy. And as we said, you know, Timothy wasn't... He wasn't sent just to be a, a news gatherer, right? Like, oh, you know, they're doing all right. I'm going to head back. You know, Timothy was sent for ministry. For Paul, the, the goal of missionary work was not simply getting people to trust and believe in the gospel. Right? like, yes, of course, that's what we want. But also, where true faith arose, they needed to be nurtured. They needed to be strengthened. There needed to be some discipleship. And so Timothy was there to do ministry and strengthen them so they would not be tempted to crumble and to, to give in. But as, as far as our enemy pertains to us though, like how, how do we deal with him? How do we deal with him? We cannot forget that there's a person out there who wants to to destroy us, right? Satan, I heard a, a, a quote one time, a great quote uh, says the enemy's greatest weapon against us is that we forget about him. The greatest, the enemy's greatest weapon against us is that we forget about him. Like we forget that he's out there to get us and to sway us right from walking with the Lord. And guys, the truth is we cannot fight him on our own. Martin Luther. Uh, incredible church history figure, uh, awesome, so great. He wrote a really, really cool hymn um, back in the day on this, on the topic of this, and said, said this, starting off, he said, For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. And so Luther believed that Satan was, was out there. He was wanting to tempt us. And he knew that by our own power, Martin Luther knew that by our own power, we don't have the strength to stop him. That's why it says on earth is not his equal. But later in the hymn, Luther says that there is someone more than equal to Satan's power. Someone who's in fact far greater than. Then Satan. He goes on and says, Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Like that's that's fire, right? Like that is so so good. We Christians, we have the right man on our side. We have the Son of Man, we have Jesus Christ who, who died to free us. From our chains and bondage and sin and defeat the power and death so we can have life. We can have true life in him. And Luther goes on, he says more, That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth, the spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. And so we have the spirit with us as well. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling in us Christians and helping us in this life, right? Guiding us helping us. And praise God for that. Like we, we do not as Christians, as Santa Cruz Baptists, have to be scared or worried about saying because we have Jesus on our side. We have him with us. Matthew 28 says, Jesus is with us always to the end of the age. We can take comfort in that. Verse 6 continues on. Uh, Paul says, But now that Timothy has come to us, come back to us from you, and has brought us the good news of your faith and love, and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us, as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live, if you are standing fast in the Lord. So Timothy comes back, right? You know, journeys back. Probably a long journey, right? And returns and meets up with Paul and Silas in Corinth and just gives them an incredible report. So great. It says that, that the persecution and hardship through all of that, the Thessalonians are living in love, they're living in faith, and they want to see Paul and Silas again. And this this just comforts Paul and Silas, right? And blesses them to hear of their faith. And in verse 8, like, man, we just see how much Paul and Silas must have been so concerned for them, for their well-being, because now that they hear this report, it says they can now live. This good news put new life and new spirit into the apostle. Now, now Paul and Silas can breathe, right? Like, ah, like, so good. They can now have a peace that these Thessalonian friends are doing well. And they're standing fast in the Lord. And, which means standing fast in the Lord. That means holding fast to their Savior, holding fast to Jesus. They're not being tossed to and fro by these, these massive waves of persecution. But rather, as, as Psalm 62 says, their strength and their stronghold and fortress is the Lord. Praise God. <clears throat> Verses 9 and 10. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. And so in this verse, it just seems that Paul's speechless, right? He's, you know, to use a fun word, he's flabbergasted, right? At just how thankful he is for these Thessalonians Joy and love in the Lord. He's so thankful. And so that concludes our second point on care. Do we care for others in their walks with the Lord? And so our last point, the last little chunk that this text breaks up into is prayer. Prayer. Paul's prayer of unity and endurance. Like, guys, let's keep going. Let's keep it moving. And what's awesome here is that through this prayer... Paul introduces topics that he's going to go through in the last few chapters of 1 the Thessalonians. So, like love, hope, <coughs> holiness, and the return of Jesus a second time. But before we get into our, our third point, um, I would like to share a personal story that relates to prayer. Um, so, first of all, by show of hands, uh, who in here likes Panera? Panera bread. Let's go. Okay. Got some people with us, with me. Panera is so good. Um, I'm not ashamed to say it. That cinnamon crunch bagel just gets me. Um, it's a little pricey, but I love it. It's worth it. And so anyways, um, this is a glimpse into my life. Sometimes when I have a lot of work to do or I just want to get away and just go read or just you know, spend time working, and have no distractions, what I do is I I drive to Los Gatos, the nearest Panera, um, give me one of those bagels. And so last week, uh, I had one of those days, um, and so I went to Panera to study this passage that we're in today, and so I'm in a booth, you know, I get there, uh, you know, give a little booth to myself, have my coffee, uh, my bagel. Uh, with that cream cheese, man. And then I have my Bible open. And I have my Bible open to this passage. And I'm reading, and I look up and I see uh, this lady. And she, she smiles at me and, you know, smiles kindly at me and like, keeps walking. I was like, oh, you know, like that's sweet, uh, super kind lady. Um, a few minutes later, I get up and I... I uh, I want to get more food, and so I just drop in money at this point. Um, but I go and order a sandwich, and so I order the barbecue sandwich, and, and I order it, turn around, uh, go stand and wait for it. And that same lady's still there, and she comes up and walks up to me, and she says, uh, hey, were you, were you reading your Bible over there? And I was like, yeah, I, I was. And she's like, well, can you pray for me? And I was like, yeah, like, that's big, right? I was like, oh, of course I can. Like, what's your name? And she proceeded to tell me that her name is Julia and um, that she's just been going through it, truly. Um, have some, has some really heavy things going on in her life. And she just unloads, and she just tells me, and it was a lot. Um, and it was just so sweet, honestly, just meeting Julia, and it's getting to listen. And so I got to hug her, and I got to just pray for her right there in Panera, and then encourage her as she, she headed home. And we said goodbye, get back to my seat, and I think like, man, I, I've gotta make it my mission to pray for Julia every single day this week. And so I get my phone out, getting my reminders up, you know, pray for Julia, what, and in and, and that moment, I had the thought of, why don't I pray for my friends like this? Why don't I pray for my friends like this? Like it was a, a gut punch, really. Like I get all these, these texts and phone calls from my friends saying they struggle with you know lust or pride or addiction or anger. and, and I, I tell them, like, yeah, I'll pray for you, man. Like yeah, sending up a prayer right now, and, but then most of the time I just... I, I sometimes just don't take the time to because I'm too focused on myself, to be honest. And, and here I was reading this passage on Paul in Panera, and he's not even with the Thessalonians, but he's praying for them night and day. Like it, was, it was such a convicting, humbling, growing moment for me. Because all, all over the Bible, right, prayer and saying that's so powerful, like Jesus prayed. Prayer is healing, right? Prayer gives you peace. Philippians four, right? Prayer to God is a gift. Prayer is powerful. Second Chronicles seven, right? And so, in Pierre, I looked back down at these next three verses we're going to go through, and like they just encouraged me so much. Like <coughs> there is so much for me to learn, and so much for us to learn from Paul. And his care for these saints in Thessalonica. And so here we get to learn from this prayer. And so I I hope this encourages us. And so as verses 11 through 13 say, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts Blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all His saints. And so, guys, because of this sweet news that he just that he just heard, this report from Timothy, Paul has such a great care for these new believers that he prays for them. And John Chrysostom um, speaks of Paul in his prayer and says, "Paul's prayers." show that he was an ardent soul who cannot hold back his love. Right? He had so much love that he prayed for them. And so he prays a prayer of endurance and unity for him. Paul first prays that, you know, Lord, please, please direct my way to them so I can see him again. And then he prays that, Lord, Lord, will you work in the hearts of these believers to increase in their love, abound in their love for one another, and the church, and then for all, for those in the neighboring areas, right? And this reminds me of Matthew 5. Matthew 5, Jesus is speaking, it says, You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the undress. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And so loving is easier said than done, right? And especially it's even harder when you're called to love those who hate and persecute you. But here's what here's what I think of. I think of Jesus. Here, Jesus. Jesus rode on a donkey. And to Jerusalem and all the people, they have their palm branches and they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And then a week later, those same people are saying, crucify him, crucify him. And Jesus loved those people so much that he laid down his life for those very people. Like That is love. And so we should imitate Jesus' love and show his light, guys. We should be light bearers and show his love to those around us. And then Paul keeps praying. He prays that these Thessalonians be holy and blameless before God. And so Paul wants these new believers to be able to stand before God and have no shame or fear because they've been devoted to Christ, devoted to holiness, right? Devoted to him, and that, that route towards holy living is love and starts with love and so to conclude our last point are we praying for others are we genuinely praying for others and so before we pray before we go into the Lord's Supper um, after this I think it'd be a shame to to not look and see how we can see how this text relates relates to Jesus to Jesus Christ because all scripture points to him right and so as far as Jesus' longing I Jesus longs for all to come to know him and place their faith in him. Jesus is the way, he's the truth, and the life, truly, guys. He's changed my life forever and for the better. And so if you're here this morning and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, like, man, it would be the best part of my day to talk to you guys about Jesus. Moving forward, Jesus' is care. The greatest example of care in the Bible, but but not even just the Bible, in the history of the whole world, is Jesus laying down his life for us. Right? Romans 5.8. Romans 5.8 says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so, you know, not just the lashings, not just the torture, the beatings, the nails, in his hands and his feet being spat on. But Jesus took the weight of my sin and our sin on him. And he died for us as a perfect and loving sacrifice for us to defeat sin and death so that we can have new life in him. Like he he raised from the dead. He did the miraculous. Once again, showing that he truly is the son of God. He's the Messiah, the savior of the world. And that he is worthy. He's worthy of our trust and us placing our faith in him. And then lastly, Jesus' prayer, guys. Like he prayed all the time. Day and night, throughout the night even that time. And he wants us to pray to him and go to him and pray and talk to him. And so we can learn from Jesus and his longing, care, and prayer. And imitate him in that. Let's pray.